Sonic Statesman.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk number 90. Finally back. It's been a bit stop and start the last uh, few weeks because of um, holidays and this, that and the other. But uh, I'm very glad to welcome almost the entire gang. In fact, I think pretty much the entire gang. Let's start with Mr. PJ Tracy because he's been waiting for the longest because I wrote the wrong time on the show notes. I'm very sorry. Hello, PJ. How are you? Hello, Nick. I'm fantastic. Good. Well, you've been up a long time, I guess. The coffee's had time to kick in. It has, and I just poured a fresh cup, so I think I'm ready to go. I went for a cup of tea, and there was no milk in the kitchen, so I am dry as a bone. Oh, for shame. Never mind. I'll remember next time. Uh, and also, we have Mr. Non-Eric from musotalk.de, videocaster extraordinaire. How are you, Hans? Yeah, I'm fine. Good. How's, uh, how's Berlin? Is it, is it any less rainy than the, the dismal UK? Um, well, we had great weather last couple of weeks. Uh, today it's a little bit more miserable, and I assume that once I will go to the pool for uh, for swimming exercise today, it will start raining just like yesterday. Yeah, well, it's been raining all day without rem- remorse, without remit, even. Oh, right. All my clothes are just damp and everything. Well, anyway, I can't. I, we can't go on about the weather too long. We've got a whole summer of it to to look forward to so uh um but anyway welcome thanks for coming mr non-eric from musotalk.de uh next up we've got mr rich hilton of course who's been jetting about all over the place uh, i think you were in europe quite recently were you not rich uh most recently i was in los angeles ah okay was that more more work mr clear mountain yeah that was the week uh no that was that first time actually oh, okay. i was i was slated to go back this week but it didn't work out that way and I'm home and able to do the podcast. Ah, well, a welcome, welcome. Thanks very much for joining us at myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius to find out all things Hiltonius, I guess. Why not? But you're coming uh, over to um, to Europe in about 10, 10 days or so to play at the WOMAD Festival, right? Yeah, yeah. We're going to go to uh, France first and play in Deauville and in Paris. And then we're going to come over and play the WOMAD Festival in the UK. And then... F- Come home. Ah, oh, well, I'm going to do my utmost to get there and uh, and see you because uh, we haven't met for well since October, I guess, in the AES, and it was all too brief. Yeah, it'd be great. Okay, well, I'll do my work. I'll do my best, and you can uh, personally berate me for making you get up early and not being there. <laughs> um, anyway, um, let's move on to Mr. Dave Spears. Dave Spears from G4Software.com, um, makers of fine software musical instruments. How are your musical instruments, and are they still fine? Of course, they are. How are you, Dave? Uh, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm still hanging in there. Because you've been, you've not been too well. Have your ears? How are your ears getting on? They, you've got past the balance stage, and is it moved on to something else, or are you kind of all right? No, I'm still a bit sort of swervy and tinnitus and whatnot. I had I had labyrinthitis described the other day as an overdose, uh, overexposure to David Bowie films, which I thought was quite. <laughs> <a factor. laughs> that's a very oh, that's fine. One really dreadful. The, the, the dreadful one with the where he is a, a, a witch master or something. Did you see that one too? Oh well, any of them, I guess. Really, <laughs> a labyrinth. Oh, well, the, the first oh, no. one is good. The man who fell to earth. That's a good one. Oh yes, of course. Oh, yeah, the of labyrinth. Course. He was in. He was. Wasn't he the the demon in the labyrinth? Labyrinth. Something like that. Anyway, I'm not sure. We've he- also got Mark Tinley with us, but um, I think he's helping his son. I'm here. Oh no, he hasn't. You've wiped and returned. I have. <laughs> I'll qualify that statement if you don't mind. <laughs> Your son required um, required toilet business. You know, it's not Mark that um, 
anyway, never mind. I, I can't even. Anyway, Mark Tinley from, uh, well, not, not sunny Cambridgeshire at all, actually. Um, not even sunny Cambridgeshire. I do like rain, though. I actually really like rain. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's lucky. Drizzle, but if it's really heavy, really hard rain, I love it. And if I get the opportunity, I'll take all my clothes off and run around naked. Okay. Is that why you chose the location for your current house, which is sort of down the end of a secluded lane? <laughs> uh, no, I think unfortunately we've got a very low wall around our garden so if I start dancing naked in the garden the parishioners of the local church will be able to see out of the church and into our garden and see me doing that so I don't think it's a good idea oh, I don't know maybe you should wait till midnight anyway went, let's not dwell on that thought I went to see Duran Duran on Monday night Oh, yes. Oh. And all this talk of cups of tea. I went with my friend Sean Wright. You know, you know the album a month guy. Yeah, yeah, I know. And uh, we both we both went to the bar and ordered a cup of tea. <laughs> oh, bless you. Funny. <laughs> Did you get them to dedicate a song to you? Did they serve you? Was it a good cup of tea? Because I know that cups of tea and bars are not always the best thing to... They're not the you best know, combination. It's very good. And it was very reasonably priced. It was in the Birmingham <laughs> NIA... I think it was 90p for a cup of tea. Oh, that's the one in the centre of town, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, one, that, the, one, that's, the one that's not the NEC. Yeah. The one that's not the NEC, yeah. Yeah. They used to hold I enjoyed the... it, though. It was really nice, because I'm so used to being backstage and worrying about things going wrong and blowing up and everything. And Nick, bless him, rang me up and said, do you want to come and see us? We're playing all around England. Pick a show, and uh, and I'll give you some passes and tickets and stuff. So I sort of went along and... Really nice evening. Liked oh, it a lot. Good, good, good. So, um, were you? Did anything go wrong, or did it all run like clockwork? And you felt, um, felt like? Oh, it all looked like it was going okay from where I was. I don't know. People that I've I, worked with, I always have this sort of just. It's only a very slight kind of feeling that it's like, oh, go on. If something goes wrong, then they'll realise how great I was. That's <laughs> <laughs> a terrible thought, isn't it? It's a terrible thing to think. Yeah, but they're probably still using my programming, so they'll probably be cursing me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else has to learn it. Well, anyway, Mark Mark is, of course, can be found at myspace.com forward slash... Is it Mark Tinley or is it Lord Tinley now? No, it's still Mark Tinley. Uh, and let's move on to the first the first topic. The first topic is... Um, I, I don't know where this came from. I think this came via... Um, music thing where i thought i saw a keith emerson doll a sort of figurine if i describe it for you it's kind of keith emerson in boots and a sort of rather 80s looking attire in front of his sort of rack of um in front of his moog modular sort of striking a stage-like pose and it's one of those kind of resin figurines that you can buy from those kind of places you can get it from statue toys and it's a it was a 250 bucks and um it wasn't that so much that i thought was um was the the key point although i'm sure many of us will be placing the order as immediately especially um, your um business partner dave spears yes yes i did get a comment from him oh did you two. well of course because we had chris on the we had chris on the show before and he he's actually worked with keith emerson but uh, um and anyway i was going to say that the whole point was is uh, you know we've all worked in various different um pop outfits or what have you has anybody worked with anybody who's got that big that they've got that kind of merchandise about them you know not just the t-shirts that you get on the tour but kind of figurines and you know fashion accessories and all that sort of stuff i just wondered whether anyone had any experience of that kind of um, level of fame but dave maybe we should come to you first because obviously uh, you've got comments from chris who um who did work with the great man Yes, he had a couple of really interesting points. One was, what is the point? <laughs> uh, the other one was that those boots look decidedly gay. 
and the very 70s. And the other one was that um, you can tell by his expression that he's slightly worried because he thinks Carl is further downstage than him. <laughs> that's amazing you can read all of that from a single figurine that, that that is a testament to the craftsmanship of the uh of the, scu- the, the sculpture i think uh, the injection molding process yeah but there, there's some obviously some special magic has, and fairy dust has gone into that that sort of captured it. i did have a look round on the statue toy site and there were also uh oh let me just read the keith emerson description actually um is portrayed in this limited edition sculpture with a signature keyboard compiled unearthly sounds with classical influences emerson has carved out his position as a rock icon it's created in intricate detail by a team of artists no less who have hand painted and hand numbered this collectible the keyboard stands just under 12 high i'm presuming that's 12 inches because if it was 12 feet then 150 bucks would be a bargain but anyway uh, only 3,000 of them are available worldwide so book early to avoid disappointment <laughs> you can also find a freddie mercury for 104 bucks a Jimmy Page wielding a bow, you know, because he did that thing with the um, violin bow, didn't he? A Marshall amp, and, a, and, and for some inexplicable reason, Malcolm Young from ACDC. I mean, not Angus, Malcolm. I mean, Malcolm's the kind of quiet one who never kind of ends up in the videos, isn't he? Yeah, but he was the boss of the band. Ah, I see. I, I yield your greater knowledge of ACDC, though I do love them, and I used to love them when I was a kid. In, in my opinion... The introduction to Back on Black is one of the finest guitar introductions on the planet ever. It's just wonderful. The rest of the song sucks, but I really like the intro. <laughs> so anyway, who's worked with people who have statues made then? Come on. And that kind of thing. Anybody? I, prob- I probably have. Hey, there's got to be some Bowie merchandise out there somewhere. I dare say. There's got to be a labyrinth um, Bowie, hasn't there, at least? I uh, found Joey Ramone on here. Oh, really? I didn't see that. And I Joey Ramone, him. it doesn't have any uh, <laughs> limitation on the number of uh, models. Oh, you mean it's not a limited it's edition? A limited it's, just, edition. it's just cheap. <laughs> but he was, his retail price was 24 bucks, and they've knocked him down to 1977, which is kind of weird, isn't it? 1977, because that's oh, yeah, one of, of the year when he yeah, was... Right. There's got to be that's got to be something collectible in. I mean, that, isn't that the whole point about these things? It kind of, um, it does sort of... Uh, what is it? What's the word I'm looking for? It preys on the, the the thought that you know if you buy it, you might and pe- keep it in your attic. You'll be able to sell it at auction in twenty years time for thousands of dollars, and then then, then but then actually in a couple of years time, you'll just see it at, at a car boot sale for kind of twenty pence. Exactly. I have a friend who collects hundreds of these things. <clears throat> Has his whole house filled with them. Wow. Yep. Boxed and unboxed, all over shelves, all over balustrades, everywhere. And what's the purpose? Do you think, is, is it just a sort of association or is it just a kind of obsession? What do you think the, the kind of attraction is? I, th- I think it's both. I mean, he would tell you that it's a good investment and that he's collecting for the future. And <laughs> he, read the, he, read, <laughs> he certainly read the ads, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Charles Schwab could help you out a little better than, than uh, <laughs> sinking your money into toys. But- I've got a house full of plastic. <laughs> yeah, but he has uh, robots from Japan and anime characters and all of the limited edition Nightmare Before Christmas figurines, and and they're they're amazing. Yeah, some, some of them are, are pretty. Some of them are absolutely amazing, and he's not so finicky that he won't let you pick the ones up that aren't still in boxes and touch them. So that's kind of don't touch that. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting. You can pick them up and 
look at them and appreciate their fine detail. <laughs> Some of these things are are amazingly expensive, and I, I guess a few that he has bought have have gone up quite a bit in price over the years since he's had them. I suppose. You, I suppose the thing is, if you buy them and then you know unfo- something sort of unfortunate happens to the subject of it like they're not dead and they uh, they end up they wind up dead then i suppose it might be worth something but it's not it's a bit of a morbid kind of way of investing on things i guess no but judging by joey ramon's statue the value drops <laughs> well i suppose <laughs> poor chap maybe they just made a low more maybe they made a whole lot more when you know he passed away and um there's you know there's a surplus now a surfeit of joey's well he's one i did work with by the way yeah Oh, cool. There what, you go. What? What on? What on? Uh, an album called Subterranean Jungle. Okay, the, by the Ramones. By the Ramones in uh, 1982. Was that with Nile, or was that in your own right? No, 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 no. 1982 would have been preceding my association with Nile. Uh, it was at Kingdom Sound Studios in Syosset on Long Island, and uh, was where I was working at the time. And um, I got to like Joey quite a bit. He was he was a good guy. So that must have been um, kind of right in the middle of the period where there was a lot of imbibing, imbation, I guess one, one might call it going. How did you manage to avoid all of that stuff? When being the clean living guy that I know you are. Um, how did I manage to avoid it? Presumes <laughs> facts, not necessarily in evidence. So with that, <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to put you in a, in a difficult position, Rich. Were they, were they, That's were, as far were, as I'm going to say. <laughs> were they, were they, how were they in the studio? Because, I mean, there's all sorts of... Oh, those you know, guys didn't... Uh, those guys were, uh, they shall we hard. say... They were burning weed, those guys. That's what that's seemed to me to be the limit of their involvement around anything I saw. Oh, okay. Uh, they were burning fairly vast quantities of it, but <laughs> nevertheless, they were burning weed. Um how were, how what did you say how were they yeah uh well musically they sound it's funny they they plug in and it sounds exactly like the remotes it they they just sound like that it's very honest uh yeah, yeah. what you hear on the records is very honestly representing what they sound like in a room hasn't that got to be um, a dream gig producing the remotes because i mean it's just like okay here's the mics go surely I suppose I suppose it was they had on this particular project they had Richie Cordell and Glenn Kalotkin who had just had success with Joan Jett's I Love Rock and Roll at the oh, same studio classic. at the time and so uh and Richie Cordell goes back to early Tommy James records and he's written some classic hits including I think he's a writer on Moni Moni and uh he he has an old school well-respected pop sensibility and glenn kalotkin was an engineer who had worked at columbia studios in the heyday in the late 60s and had recorded carlos santana and sly and the family stone and apparently mixed some hendrix material and uh there were a very highly respected bunch of people uh at the time and it was interesting that the ramones had sought them out and come out to long island to do this record yeah of oh, course cool. sounds like a great experience yeah, it was and joey was a great guy uh, he was my favorite of the bunch and uh it was very sad when he passed. I think we should have maybe a one, two, three, four, just for just for old times' sake. <laughs> ha, um, non-Eric, do, have you have you been 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 exposed to the merchandising uh, world of pop music at all? Not really, except selling a couple of my t-shirts. Do you <laughs> do you do you own any figurines? Uh, Would you care to, that you'd care to admit to? No, only a, a lot of. German Panzers from the Second World War. Are you a tank man, are you? 
Yes, I'm a big tank man, but uh, I don't want to delve too much into that. No, fair enough. Yeah, it could be embarrassing. <laughs> but uh, I'd like to mention, uh, I don't know whether you guys uh, saw or heard it on the web, uh, that actually the Devo is suing McDonald's over mm-hmm. their new wave doll. Really? Mm-hmm. They use yes. their, their trademarked hat and plays a mel- uh, 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 music that is very close to Devo. Good Lord. Yep. How could wow. they be so stupid? I mean, McDonald's, that is. I mean, that just sounds like... Or maybe they, it's calculated. Gets a load of publicity, then all the Devo fans rush into McDonald's and buy burgers just to get hold of the dolls? Maybe. I, I don't know about Devo fans, but the, McDonald's, I think, is going to end up settling. I should think so, yeah. I mean, they're not going to contest it, surely. I mean, it's kind of like, hey, look, here's, here's our long and documented history of us and our music, and here's you. With well, this. The, the question is, I think, to what extent you can protect that upside-down flower pot on your head as a trademarked <laughs> item. I, I'm serious when I say this. <laughs> yeah, but it is, it's not a flower pot, is it? It's kind of a fairly, because it's stepped. It's kind of like a, an old Mexican um, or South American pyramid kind of style, isn't it? But round. I think they've said that it's a flower pot. Really? I've never seen a flower pot like that. Maybe it's been modified. Maybe they may have gotten made sometime later, but I think that's how it began. Okay. I'd really love to get one of the dolls, though. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Tebow fan. Yeah, well, we did an interview with them. Um, we went and filmed them kind of setting up and stuff down in um, yeah. Brighton. Yes, yeah, I saw that, Nick, and I was wondering whether maybe Tebow had too many Mac- burgers in them. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's it, there's quite an amusing because we came to edit it and it was a bit uncomfortable because what had happened i don't know how it had worked out but you know we had contacted them and it was all cool and then when it came to it it was one of those things where the management and the bands kind of pr thought it was a great idea for us to turn up but when we turned up we were sort of stepping on the the uh the, the kind of toes of the crew and the tour manager and he didn't take to it very well so we were kind of treated like you know naughty schoolboys a bit but then we finally got to to go in i wasn't actually there i was away at the time but they went in and it was in this massive you you can tell when we're talking to them it's very ambient and they're all wearing these pvc suits and all you can hear the whole time there's no talking is this kind of creaking of these uh, the plastic that they're wearing and it's just it's almost it it is amusing it's you know because every time that one of them moves or you ask them something they kind of go (laughs) check it out when you watch it. i'll put the link in the show notes it's quite it's quite funny well, funny to me anyway, because I saw the extended highlights of the footage. But yeah, it's a good laugh. Um, but Devo, <laughs> Devo and the Dolls. I, I, when did that come up? And what are they? What are they looking for for damages? I have no idea. I'd yeah, go for know. a lot, or maybe a lifetime supply of burgers for the whole band and the crew. You? No, perhaps not. <laughs> it wouldn't be a very long life, would it? No, that's very true. It's very true. Still, Kurt Cobain on here for seventeen dollars. Oh, really? I thought it'd be maybe more the longer you've been dead, the the cheaper they become. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps so. I don't know. That doesn't speak well to their longevity as an investment. <laughs> no, well, I, I could buy I, the Kurt Cobain doll and get the Keith Moon and John Bonham dolls for free. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> job lock. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Well, anyway, um, it doesn't sound like... Oh, Dave, what about you? I didn't ask you whether you'd had any figurine-type experience. Have you? Um, done, I'm, I'm sure I've seen a Tina Turner figurine somewhere. Well, more than one. No, not that I know of. No? No. Nope. Nope. We're, well, we're, we're, we're involved with much, much, much cooler artists. 
on TV. I don't know. I think being immortalised in a kind of kid's toy is pretty much the pinnacle of success, is it not? No, Chris and I have seen the best merchandising ever today. Um, I was up with the Underworld guys yesterday, and they are doing an art jam at the Jacobson Howard Gallery in New York, where yeah. they are um, doing some silkscreen printing, limited editions. And both Chris and I looked at it today and went, mm, we want those. But that's art. That's this art. Yeah, that's different. That's art, is it? As I always say, the only difference between art and fart is an F. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll let you sit with that for a while and maybe you'll start laughing in an hour or two. Jay Wasco there, and his, what was it called? It's called a, um, oh, I've forgotten what it's called now. It's a guitar thing. It's basically a bass guitar. Fretless Swiss by Army the, bass. Swiss Army bass. It's a fretless bass guitar by the sound of it. It might only have three strings, I'm not sure, because he does a couple of other ones like that. And what looks like a, Yam, a, a Yamaha Roland AX1 sort of bolted on, and presumably some kind of foot pedal, unless he does all of that wah stuff with aftertouch. And what he's doing, he's playing the bass with one hand, so it's like hammer-on style. He's playing the guitar wah sound, which is presumably on some sort of sample library um, kind of thing, and, the, and singing at the same time. And the drums are, um, you know, pr- programmed, and he plays along with that. But that's all that is, that's happened. And it, I think, Dave, you found this one. And it, it reminded me, because we'd actually used uh, this footage of, of Jay Wasco in our Top 20 Weirdest Instruments in Episode 2. And so I sort of went back and had a look at it. And when, when did you discover it? How did you find that, Dave? That's... Uh, uh- Drummer sent it to me, saying, check this out. And I fired up the video and nearly fell off my seat. It's like, but it's pretty powerful. I know. I mean, that's the thing. It's not, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of rock, but it's got heart and soul as well, hasn't it? It feels quite fluent. It's not not a sort of bodge by any stretch. I didn't listen to any of his other stuff, because I I couldn't do it in the time that I had, but pretty impressive. uh, He uses a TX7, you know, the old DX7 module. What, for the guitar just, stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what, and then just kind of distorts it and what have you? I, th- I think you said there's a clav sound on there and he's got a wah and just kind of goes for it. It's interesting because oh, my brother's a guitarist and he said he's taken a really uh, simple song and actually really overcomplicated it, but it just had, it just had a massive amount of energy and I was just dumbstruck. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's doing all those three things, I mean, I, can, I can't sing and play at the same time. I can barely sort of pat my head and rub my stomach at the same time, to be perfectly honest. I don't know how. Does, can any Rich? You must be able to do that. Do you, do you do any background vocals when you're playing, or you know, when with Sheik? I grew up playing and singing. I've been playing and singing on various instruments all my life, and I was very impressed with Jay here. I think he's really talented, and it's cool. And I also really dug the fact that he's got New York sports teams on his shirts most of the time, <laughs> and uh, most particularly that fractal harp thing that he made interested me as an instrument uh he was really fluent on it it made really interesting sounds and it was mm. i really dug the fractal harp a lot i must go um, back and check that out 
As for people who play guitar and keyboard at the same time, there's a guy called Mike Keneally who used to play with Frank Zappa, who um, uh, on one tour he opened for Steve Vai and also played keyboards and second guitar in Steve Vai's band when for the headlining part of the show. And during the Steve Vai show, would often have one hand on a keyboard and one hand on a guitar neck and playing these ridiculously intricate parts as well. So I've seen this done before. But but this guy does it very well and with a lot of passion and I like what, the. What does the it take? I mean, you know, you as somebody who can do it. What what is there? Is it just something that you find you're able to do, or do you have to train yourself hard to dis disassociate, or does it come naturally? How does it work? I don't. I don't. Well, um, you mean as far as coordinating the actions of your two hands, or between the action of yeah, playing yeah, and doing one, you know, un, unrelated rhythmical things at the same time. I mean, I guess drummers can do it, but there's a there's piano a, playing is like that. Yeah, just normal piano playing is like that. I suppose, so, but it depends. I mean, if you've got any bandwidth left to sing over the top of it, you know, it's kind of... Well, to me, the amazing thing is him with his left hand on a keyboard and his right hand on that fractal harp. That blew my mind, because the fractal harp has no traditional technique right. to begin with. He has to develop that from ground zero, including the instrument, and then and then merge that into an existing... Uh, technique structure, which is that that one really interested me the most. But but I dug Heart of Gold too, and he's obviously a bass player. Yeah, he's got some great stuff in there. I mean, uh, Dave. I mean, do you can you do that? Can you play and sing? Badly, badly. No, I can kind of you know vamp on a piano a bit and sing. But why why uh, why? If you're really good at one and really good at the other, when you do them both together, are you sort of worse at both of them a bit? Do you know what I mean? Not you personally, but no, with me, all of the above. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but then I didn't start with a particularly amazing talent anyway. But um, no, I've always found it fascinating, particularly with drummers, actually, because, you know, drummers that play and sing. There's a guy uh, in Chillyfish who used to kind of stand up, play the drums and sing. And I was like, bloody hell, how do you do that? <laughs> amazing. Because you've just got so much going on, you know? Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, that's the worst thing for the sound guy, isn't it? The singing drummer. Jesus, it's like mm. do you, as if you need another vocal mic over the kit. You know, it's like, no, thank you. That's a classic Bonham thing, isn't it? With, I don't know if you've heard those um, multi-tracks of his, him just playing on his own. You know, you've got this enormous drum sound and him just kind of <laughs> <laughs> over the top. They were just grunting in time. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Mark? I, I noticed you were kind of quite impressed with um, with Mr. 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 Wasco. Um, do you find you can do both? I can do downward strums on a guitar and sing at the same time, but anything <laughs> beyond that, no. I mean, I'm absolutely blown, about, blown away by anybody who can do it. The guy that used to uh, get to me was the guy that did the funk bass and sing at the same time, Mark. Mark King. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, God, that's right. He used to be like on the bass and like singing like really quite complex melodies over the, the yes, top. Yes, I remember I that. I never get how he dissociated the bass playing from the singing and was able to do the two things I and mean, it's almost like there's two people in the same headspace isn't there yeah i know but, what you're saying i'm not yeah i mean that, what that is quite a good example for in a sort of popular sense i mean I, I, he was he didn't have a very nice voice but he could def- certainly he could certainly whack that bass what about you hans have you kind of um have you have you developed that skill or is it something that um you actively discouraged in your techno days well, uh, in, in my new wave punk rock days, yes, I did play guitar and sing, but I tried to keep the amount of guitar playing down in those parts where, would, where I would attempt to sing. 
Right, because then it, would, it wouldn't suffer so much. Absolutely. Strike a chord, sing a little bit, strike another chord, sing a little yeah. bit. So- yeah, that's the way. <laughs> what about PJ? You play, and can you play and sing? I can, um, and have been doing it. Uh, I learned <clears throat> trial by fire in high school when uh, you know me and my mates formed a band and there was nobody to sing. Uh, it sort of fell on my shoulders because I was the one that could carry a tune <laughs> and uh, just learned how to, how to do it coming up through, you know, various covers and original, original pieces. And then over the last, you know, couple of decades have made uh, a living at times playing and singing. Uh, do, you, do you find that, because I mean, I, I remember I was in that position like a long, long time ago, you know, the school band and I had a synthesizer and I couldn't even play mm-hmm. one note on a synthesizer and sing at the same time. It was really <laughs> difficult. And, um, and so do, do you find that it, it, you modify your technique um, it becomes better the more practice that you get, or you actually have to kind of simplify perhaps what something that you would, if you were just playing the keyboard, you'd be a bit more rhythmically interesting or whatever if you weren't singing, or do you, or can you manage both? Now, at this point now, I don't think about it so much, but I think, uh, you know, if I would be 100% honest about it, most definitely the practice has helped. I mean, uh, singing didn't come, initially singing came very naturally to me, and then when my voice changed around, you know, 13 or 12 or whenever that was, for some reason there was a couple years when I just couldn't stand listening to my own voice. So I stopped singing altogether, and then under duress, you know, by uh, joining, you know, various bands in high school i just i wound up doing it again and as i got more comfortable with it it just there was yeah there was a kind of growing pains figuring out you know the best way to be able to articulate things that i knew i could do with my fingers while still having to consciously think about singing and how you wanted to deliver a performance now when i do it uh which you know generally is in the context these days of you know some some kind of gathering or you know being called up on stage at a show or something like that or or uh Maybe possibly something for for a client. Um, I think about it more in terms of the entire arrangement all at once. So it becomes more of an orchestration. It's how do I want it all all to all to right. fit together, and then I don't have to think about everything separately. Oh, okay, I never made that transition from uh, when I, my voice was before my voice before the change. I, uh, I I used to sing in choirs, and I was you know I was quite good apparently. Yeah. Uh, but no, it never made it. It never kind of translated to when my voice broke i couldn't i think that happens to a lot of kids you know you you go you go through that where you you sing and you're really comfortable with your voice as a kid and then your voice changes and all of a sudden you're i I don't want to listen to that the aural equivalent of not wanting to see the pimples in the mirror (laughs) rich you sent a video from um, this guy kevin wyatt as well who was doing some pretty bonkers um playing along to some john coltrane stuff um which i'll just play briefly if anyone wants to quickly hear that i know Mark, you'll just have to um, mask your ears because I know you don't like jazz much. That sort of tinkling in the background is him playing the piano along with the solo line and the bass line that you can hear that's quite pronounced is him playing the bass at the same time. So that's kind of quite... He wasn't singing too, or he did have a go at the end, but the, it was quite complex and pretty tight. I, I was I, floored. <laughs> I yeah, was floored too. by this guy. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. That was pretty good. I mean, it's not my cup of tea, but, you know, I could see that he obviously has talent. And if you look around, he apparently he played bass with Hanson, Belinda Carlisle, En Vogue, you know, very, he's a kind of session guy of some repute, I think. So 
And there's all this stuff in the comments on the YouTube video that sort of says, there's more coming, you know, watch this space. There's a, there's, he's about to launch something big, whatever that may be. Was he playing the sax line on that? Yeah, he was playing along with the sax yeah. line. Yeah. The sax sounded fantastic. No, no, no. He played a piano. It was like a tinkly piano alongside, underneath the sax. You can hear okay. Hey, Dave, Dave, have you, this is completely aside, but on that topic, have you checked out Sonavox's Broadway and Big Band library? No. Check that no. out. Check out the demos. They'll floor you. Excellent. Yeah, I can, Excellent. I can almost guarantee they're, they're amazing. And I saw the guy perform this live at NAMM playing with the saxes, multi-dimensional key switching they have where you can, <clears throat> you can have a lot of different articulations stacked and then release or, or instantiate different ones on top of other ones in real time. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Oh, nice. That sounds good. Yeah. Sonic Talk, sponsored by Yamaha Music Production, producers of the world's most popular digital mixing consoles, accurate professional studio monitoring systems, incredibly realistic and portable digital stage pianos, the versatile motif range of music production synthesizers, and the latest N-series digital mixing studios, featuring the cleanest signal pump and full Cubase AI4 integration www.yamahasynth.com Sonic Talk I think we're just going to have to uh, take the plunge. I mean, there's no point of beating around the bush anymore. We're just going to all have to um, come clean about our audiocheck.net test. This is another one via you, Dave. It's, it's quite a good resource, actually. I checked it out, and it's basically a repository. Audiocheck.net is a repository for test tones, sweeps, pink and white noise, you know, stuff that you could use to line things up. But there's also bunches of tests on there. There's a phase test a minute pitch differences test, smallest difference in level, you know, 0.2 of a dB, 1 dB, whatever, and then a phase test. It's a great free resource. But there's this one, which is a sweep, which I won't play, because obviously via it, once it's been MP3'd, you won't be able to hear anything. And um, it's a sweep down from, was it, 22K? And you're kind of supposed to sort of shout out when you can hear it. And yeah. um, I did terribly. But I, I'm going to say that uh, I think it's because I haven't got a very good sound card. It's just the headphone out of my Mac. So I think there was sort of aliasing. So in fact, well, I didn't do that badly, but I think the aliasing actually, I heard the aliasing and not the tone, if you see what I mean. But I got to about 16 or 17K between the two. Um, and I don't wonder how anybody else got. Actually, Mark, JX3P, sent this through to me because he thought it might help isolate whatever frequency was making me spin out oh right that's a good idea which was a very interesting experiment um but it proved to me that you know what i'm suffering isn't completely consistent you know some days are good and some in fact some hours are good and some hours are bad mm -hmm. but what it did do is reinforce that my hearing's not as terrible as i thought it had become thanks to this crappy illness oh well that's good what so did I you got 16k which was uh a relief, actually. Chris got 18, which was very good, I thought, for somebody our age. And my my nipper got 21, and that made me quite ill. Well, that's... I mean, they say, you know, when you're younger, you can obviously hear... You know, you can hear that kind of stuff. Yeah, she was very uncomfortable with the 21. Really? Anybody else care to um, to share their, their experiences on that? Did everybody get a chance to listen to it? Yes. I... Because I went to the Duran Duran thing on Monday and stood in front of a 10K rig, which was 
bleedingly loud, <laughs> blisteringly loud, or whatever you want. You can't hear anything, can you? <laughs> I can't hear a bloody thing. I left that concert and my ears were numb, absolutely numb. And, I, and that was Monday night, and it's now Wednesday, nearly 48 hours later, and my ears are still ringing really loud. Perhaps. So I, I have to wait for them to stop ringing before I go and have a listen to it. Yeah, no, it could be pretty scary, isn't it? If You know, you might get down to sort of 2K or something if you're not careful, just because uh, of, of, <laughs> of that. You can't hear me all right, I, I though. I don't think I'd be able to distinguish between the tones and the tinnitus that I've got going on at the moment. Maybe you just get some kind of beat frequency. If your tinnitus is really high, you might actually find you can perceive it much higher than you normally able to hear it. But, yeah, yeah, take care of your ears. Good Lord. What I liked about it is, uh, because we're doing a lot of kind of uh, blindfold experiments, you know, blindfold tests... At musatalk.te, you know, trying to figure out which of the drum machines is the SP-1200 or yeah, yeah. Ubers, this sort of thing. And we did that also with, you know, mixed files from different DAWs. And that's, that's what I really liked about it, because I think that we like to hear certain things. So that's why I think uh, people should really go to the website and check it out, because it really sometimes you, you want to hear things, and um, if if you really don't know what you're listening to, that makes a difference. And I think one should occasionally do that in the studio uh, while comparing certain things. Uh, not compare them while being aware uh, which is which, but actually do it blindfold. Very important. You're actually neatly sidestepping the issue, which is how far did you, how far up did you manage to to go, Hans? Oh, I didn't do that one. I did the. Uh, there was a, another one uh, with the levels. Okay. And the pitch, and there was, and what was really, I know that I'm extremely terrible with pitch, and it took me years to be able to tune my guitar. So at the first kind of punk rock concerts I played. I did. Uh, I needed a, a cork tuner. It was impossible for me to tune my guitar. Um, now I can barely do it. And I'm, I was really, really bad. I, I was no way I could tell uh, where uh, the offsets. You know, there's this pitch offsets yeah. on sense. And I didn't hear any change at all. I was terrible. I didn't listen to those. I only listened to the sweep, actually. I thought I'd better stop there in case I terrified myself and decided it was time for a career change. But um, I'm guessing that maybe Rich and PJ maybe fared well. I didn't get to it. Ah, I'm sorry to say. No problem. How about you, PJ? Did you have a chance to listen? I did. I I bought a a CD, a reference CD full of test tones a little while back, and I realized that my sound card starts to crap out up around 17, 18 um, kilohertz. Yeah, that's one thing it does say up there, doesn't it? It's just, you know, you need some quality output to be able to yeah, actually hear I, the yeah, stuff. Yeah, I don't I'm assuming that that's what it is because coming out of both the headphone amp and out of the out of the monitor outs I get the same kind of it, it starts to fizz and fuzz and then it and then it comes into a steady, you know, a steady sweep going down from there. That's where so, I got, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not sure exactly, but um <clears throat> I did try the pitch one and uh, I have perfect pitch, but I've known that. A lot of people do, actually. I have imperfect um, pitch. <laughs> hands, <laughs> hands have imperfect, yeah, I think I probably do. I, I know when it's not concert, but I don't know necessarily what note it is. Some days I do, and some days I don't. So I guess that means I don't. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So Semi-perfect. Anyway, perfect. But that's a great, a great test. It's, there's lots of good stuff there. Audiocheck.net. Um, uh, it's spelt as you would think it would be, so... Um, there was a there was a thread on Gear, gear Sluts. A chap was asking, you know, I want to get an electronic drum kit. Which one? 
And I thought, well, that's a good question. Get a Simmons on eBay. <laughs> well, that would be the fastest way because a lot of these things, obviously, um, there's a massive range of prices. I mean, you can get the kind of, what is it? There's uh, the Elisis one for kind of, you know, a few hundred bucks. Or you can get the, uh, what's the one? The, the TD20S at nearly $6,000, which is the Roland one. Dave, you're a drummer. Let's start with you because you drum, obviously. I've got a TD10. I've got a Simmons. Uh, and a load of other nonsense. Right. Do you... F- I mean, one of the questions that I wanted to know, because there are all these fantastic libraries out there, and particularly there was that one that we... The Toon Tracks that we did uh, a video of at Limbs, which sounded absolutely fantastic. The guy was playing off of one of the Roland TDs, a big TD. I think it was a TD20. And... But I was just thinking, you know, latency and stuff. I mean, how... Because it is quite pronounced, isn't it? Or can be. I mean, how... How how do you get around that? Or can't you? Uh, I've fairly hooked it up to another module in fact i'd quite like to do that but um the td10 is fast it's very quick i mean having grown up you know with an sds5 and an sds7 and then onto the kind of early roland stuff where the pads were just horrible as soon as the mesh heads came out it was like wow this is this is actually really cool you can get you know some actually you can get some decent expression for a change whereas in the old days particularly with the simmons it was either on or off yeah particularly, the, you know, the Bruford-type road drill snare. Yes, not a lot of sensitivity there. Hans, I know you're, you know, you kind of work with NPCs and stuff, which is kind of triggered, you know, it's not triggered from keys, I guess. Have you ever kind of experienced the electronic drum kit world? Is it something that do you know anything of? No, we used the, uh, the first uh, Simmons that were in Germany, actually. Uh, in the early 80s because I knew the guy who was distributing them. He was also doing the PPGs uh-huh. worldwide. And uh, I just remember that we sort of always returned the kit back home broken. <laughs> Various reasons. <laughs> hey, well, you must have been popular. And, and it was great because um, what was really great is like the, the bass drum sounds, uh, Dave, you know, I mean, the Simmons bass drum is a killer. And going mm-hmm. through a PA, we would always almost wreck the, the, the speakers in there. They were massive. But um, I really admitted, uh, I'm, I'm, I admired uh, our drummer at the time because he was absolutely tired playing the Simmons along to an MS-20 and an SQ-10 sequence. I think that was quite an achievement on his side. Right. Yeah. Was it because uh, they were they quite laggy, the early ones? I suppose they would have been, really, because it's really pretty new technology. Well, they were tight. No, I don't think they were. They were pretty tight because it was like uh, an analog uh, synthesizer, more or less. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, what I do with the SDS5, because they're basically analog modules, is that you can put a trigger into them. So you can actually, especially with that kick drum, you can detune it and take the decay off. Uh, sorry, turn the decay right up, detune it down so low, it makes the most awesome sub bass and just trigger it with a keyboard. Mm. That's a killer sound, kills any PA speakers. <laughs> mm. I've always wanted to do a test with active speakers just to see how long it takes for them to catch fire. And it sounds like the Simmons bass drum is probably the kind of a good... It's a, it's a good bet, I'm sure. Make a, it, would, it would make a great video piece, wouldn't it? But I don't know how many uh, people would actually kind of want to donate their speakers. And I certainly don't want to blow up my little active Genelex because they're the only ones i got and they're really expensive. Did yeah. anyone see that Quincy Jones thing recently? It was on TV in the UK. There was a two-part Quincy Jones documentary. No, I missed it. Which is absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's done so much, so many things that I hadn't realised. But uh, they were talking about the recording of Thriller, 
when they got Eddie Van Halen in. And the myth is true that the speakers really did catch fire. The monitors really did catch fire. Really? Mm -hmm. Uh, Where was this? What, when he was, because he had to have it turned up so loud to play a solo tool? Yep, it actually caught fire. I mean, this is one of those kind of things that you think is an urban myth. I mean, I've heard it so many times, you know, oh, when Eddie Van Halen went in and recorded his solo, the monitors caught fire. And I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, um, this is a video proof. I wonder if they were using those Eurays. Remember those Eurays with the big blue horn in the middle and they had light bulbs oh, in they had, you used Because people used to put light bulbs in the speakers, didn't they, to kind of as, to act as fuses. The light bulbs were part of the design. Oh, were they? All yeah. oh, right, okay. They were huge, <laughs> didn't they? They used to make those massive, brutal things and they had those kind of blue... It was like a blue plastic yeah. kind of fan on it with a bit of soft foam around the edge. I mean, God knows what it was like for phase coherence. I just remember they'd always used to... They, you only ever turned them on when the A&R person came because, you know, you could sort of dry their hair with it and then they'd go, yeah, that sounds great, man. And then, you know, they'd go and you'd go back to mixing on the NS10s because they were the only things he could trust at the time. You know. yeah, I don't know. Or whatever it was that you were using. But, yeah. Is that the You're same in- company that makes the compressor? I think Compressors? so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. Mark, you must have been in studios with those Eurays. Yeah, Uri Bs, though, were they? Were they? I don't remember. Well, yeah. I just remember they were massive. Well, they were called a Yuri B, and they had massive drivers in, and one of them had a blue horn in the middle. Didn't That's right. Yeah. Well, were they fifteens or eighteens? They were really huge. They, oh, I can't remember. Yeah. I mean, I think we used to go to studios specifically with those, though, because nine oh nine sound really good when you turn them up really, really loud. Right? It's lucky we weren't uh, recording this podcast last week because last week in the centre of Bath they had three concerts. Um, the first night was Meatloaf, the second night was um, Katie Malua, and the third night was Boyzone. But the first night, uh, I, was, I was in here working in the studio, and it sat, I didn't know what was going on because I'd forgot. I thought it was the following weekend. And they had a line array um, in, the, in the park that's a couple of blocks away from here. And it just sounded like there was a band downstairs playing, you know, really full tilt. <laughs> and, um, and then when I was at home, you know, later on, and I'd put the, put the child to bed, and we could just hear the strains, all the familiar tones of uh, Meatloaf's classic hits kind of drifting across Bath. It was quite strange. <laughs> I'd just like to say it absolutely tipped down with rain every single night of those concerts. Mm, Terrible. Wow. It's just so disappointing for everybody. Wow. But anyway, mm. that's, that's really got nothing to do with anything apart from it was loud music coming in through the office window, I suppose. Can I speak to this drum machine uh, topic? Yes, please. Sorry, we've kind of drifted away. Dee, bring us back into line, Rich. Well, as regards electronic drum kits, it to me, the bottom line has always been, what does it feel like for the player? Is it like playing on top of a Formica table, or is it like playing on a drum head? And so far as I know, the only ones that aren't, like playing on some form of Formica table are those Roland controllers that work with the TD system drums. The mesh Correct. heads, yeah. And um, and I've seen those things play. Uh, Omar Hakim, who plays in Sheik quite often, is a clinician for V drums for Roland. And you watch his videos playing these things, and it's stunning how great they sound and how great he controls them. And uh, and there are a number of guys uh, besides Omar who do this. And uh, and Roland's even got a few guys on staff who really kick butt on the thing. Yeah, I've seen some great demos. Yeah. The, the version of that I heard was the one um, Roger Taylor bought. I think there was a TD-7 or something. And the sounds in that were rubbish. There was one other one that I'd worth mentioning, which we shot, I think, at this year's music message, which is called Two Box. And it's bright orange. And I think... I'm not sure if I'm right about this, but I've heard that the people behind it have got something to do or had something to do with D drums. And these are, it's basically, they're all mesh head design as well. 
and they've got but it's got built-in sounds but you can load your own samples in and i think they're doing deals with various kind of sample library people to provide kind of really quite nice sample samples and there was a guy doing a demo just messing around with it and it sounded pretty good and it just sounded beefy because they're obviously in charge of of the sounds in it and it's it's not all about dsp and stuff it's just getting the samples right and the multi samples and things and that seemed pretty good and that was under two grand Surely yeah, somebody should those. connect one of those Roland controllers to like something like the addictive library. Why why can't sure. they do that? Well that's what you I can. was asking about the, the latency, you know, what that what's that like? Because it should must be, fine. be There must be Either, some though. I mean as a drummer you feel a fast computer and a fast sound card and a lot of RAM. Yeah. Should be fine. Should be yeah. fine. Yep. But uh, one one other guy I wanted to call our attention to while we're talking about the electronic drumming world is a guy who calls himself Future Man. He's one of the Wooten brothers. He plays in Bela Flex Band and doesn't use anything that looks like a drum at all to control the thing. He uses a converted old synth axe guitar controller with buttons all over it and stuff and just plays this incredible drumming stuff on it in their concerts and on their records. And what's the other thing? There's that term... The, the Zendrum? Guy, the, the Zendrum, the guy who does the uh, demo... I forget his name now. I should remember it. Who does the demos for BFD. John Emmerich. That's him. Yeah, that's pretty interesting stuff. I'd like to check. Has anyone had a chance to play one of those? Yes. Yeah, I played one at NAMM. It's beautiful. Are they fast? Yeah, very fast. Um, it takes a little getting used to because they, they're they actually not mesh. You know, they're, they're kind of... Uh, well, they're buttons, uh, aren't they? Yeah, they're buttons. Yeah, they're coated plastic. But they have, um, they say, you know, 128 levels of sensitivity. And you can feel it once you kind of get used to how touch, it works. Yeah, yeah it, feels, it feels good. Uh, Dick, I'm afraid I have to uh, go. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining us, uh, Mr. Non-Eric from musotalk.de. Um, we'll speak to you again soon, I hope. Yeah, I hope to be with you again next week, guys. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, Bye-bye. Man. So what was the thing we were talking about a couple of weeks ago that we didn't end up talking about? That was a drum library. And there was a guy that uh, recorded all the samples playing on an electronic kit, wasn't there? And he was playing that library. Oh, yes, that was the Tune Tracks thing. That's right, because mm-hmm. we, we were going to talk about that. That was from, um, that was called, Z- uh, what was his name? Near Z. He's a uh, New York session drummer, as far as I understand. And he was doing the Tune Tracks Superior Drummer 2 that we shot at Limbs, and it was a great demo. I think, PJ, you saw that because you're a big fan of Tune Tracks, aren't you? I am. I own their custom and vintage library. It did and, sound uh, wicked. I get uh, should be coming in the mail any day now. Two point Oh yes, that's right. Because you were going to get you were going to be getting it. It was an amazing demo, but I did point out at the time. It's like, well, you actually recorded the samples and all the velocities, and you're the drummer who's now re-triggering them. So it's bound to feel perfect for you. I just wondered, you know, whether there was any. But he was just he was playing that all off a PowerBook or a MacBook Pro. Uh, out of, you know, out of curiosity, I went to Two Tracks Forum after hearing you um, say that in the interview with Near Z. Mm-hmm. And um, just started uh, searching for people that are using uh, Superior's original library to trigger from rolling kits and whatnot. And people seem very, very happy with it. If they have a powerful enough machine and a fast enough sound card, they seem to think that it's just fantastic. Can you run it on a, on a MacBook Pro then with kind of any... That's what uh, Matthias was running it on a MacBook Pro. I just wondered, you know, in realistic terms, whether it was feasible because oh it yeah just- yeah totally i think so i mean it, i think it would depend on you know you want to load it up with ram although superior has a really interesting compression algorithm that they implemented in the 1.5 um release of the superior product and it takes uh these huge 
you know, stacks of samples and compresses them down to manageable sizes and then decompresses them on the fly as you play. And I've noticed no glitching. Wow. I mean, that's got to add to the latency, surely. Jeez. Well, I mean, I suppose it maybe does, but if you have a card and enough RAM and you can lower the buffer substantially, then you have no trouble. Right. So, cool. I mean, I don't triggering from, from a keyboard and I play pretty much everything I do with drum programming. I play live. I don't do any step sequencing. Actually going back to the pads thing. I mean, that's the thing that always got me because I'm so used to programming beats from a keyboard. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's in my mind. And I, I bought a hand Sonic ages ago and I, I think I bought a foot pedal off you, didn't I, Dave, the bass drum trigger. I've never had it all hooked up. And I just remember every time I hooked up the hand Sonic, I was doing some, some work with Goldfrap years ago, you know, on a um, couple of albums back. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll try and get some beats together on this thing. And I was sort of, it felt great when I was doing it. I thought, yeah, this is really happening. And then when I listened back, it was totally rubbish and really out of time. But it, it was much more fun to play. Quantize is your friend. Well, it is, you know, but it's just disappointing, isn't it? When you think, oh, that really felt like it was really happening. But I wonder <laughs> whether or not, this is the thing, because when you're playing with your whole body like that, whether you're more in tune with the differences between sort of MIDI timing and what have you or less. Do you see what I mean? So I, I I was, it felt good, but then it was actually the machinery that let me down or whether it was, it felt good, but I was really rubbish and I wasn't concentrating properly. Hmm. Hmm. I think I know which the answer, which is the correct answer to that, to be honest. But (laughs) I don't know because, you know, good drummers can feel all sorts of stuff when they sort of, when I've been in rehearsals with people or, you know, done a session and they go, yeah, well, I'm really sort of want to sit on the beat and hold back. And I just, I, frankly, I can very rarely hear the difference, but the fact that they can actually seemingly adjust themselves, those microscopic amounts. I mean, that's kind of really kind of amazing drummer sort of territory. As far as I understand, I don't know. Can you, can you adjust, make those sort of adjustments, Dave, being a drummer or do you find you just play as you play? Uh, a lot of it's kind of you know inherent, but um, yeah, no, you can push it and pull it back, and yeah, just be a little bit lazy, and then take it up a notch. I mean, the only thing I found with electronic drums is that you have to start with a reasonably low dynamic threshold as a player, because particularly live, because you when you want to raise the game and add you know some real heavy duty dynamics you need somewhere to go and it's a bit like the whole mini you know up to 127 kind of vibe right you just haven't got anywhere to go usually yeah and i've also found that sometimes live um particularly monitor engineers can't really get you a decent um monitor mix you know the bass drum will be very clicky or in fact i found with the v drums when i was doing some gigs with it that you know, actually the front of house guy and the monitor guy conspired to make me stick to one kit because they got so pissed off for making adjustments as i was scrolling through kits oh yeah hey this song i'm going to change the bass drum oh no please yeah, yeah. exactly yeah 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 but i, I found that so. I, mean, I love the d drums um you know prior to the v drum stuff the d drums were probably you know the kind of state of the art kit but actually in a live situation it almost got back to the old simmons wrist thing because you know when i hit the snare the bass player is listening for the crack so right. i hit the rim and the, and the head at the same time and then Just... of course you walk away with huge bruised knuckles and you really needn't hit it that hard and i think that's where people like omar hakeem are brilliant because got they've got touch. such a yeah beautiful technique that they can kind of bring everything down a level and still that fluidity is there i'd also feel sorry my my nipper's having drum lessons at school and uh 
they're using electronic kit and I'm like, you know, there's probably a whole generation of people learning and I know noise is a factor, but they're, they're, you know, they won't, ex they don't experience the beauty of actually hitting real heads and getting that kind of feedback from mm. the skins. Well, it, it's funny. I mean, you know, Roland will, will happily tell you that um, they are the biggest sellers of drum kits in the world, you know, but they're all electronic. Yeah, I, I understand there's some kind of law, legal situation between them and these new guys, because I think Roland claimed they have a patent on the mesh heads. Really? Well, because so Pin, Pintech make them as well, don't they? Pintech make um, uh, mesh heads and what have you for electronic drum triggers. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, I remember using some Evans mesh heads years and years ago on an acoustic kit, on a snare, actually. But anyway, who knows? Well, it's a can of worms, but... Um, We'll leave that one to bubble away. So, guys, uh, thank you very much for joining us, and particularly to PJ and Richard for um, hanging in there when um, they've been online much earlier than, than the rest of us. But we just say um, we'll we'll go in reverse order, um, reverse order being the list. Um, so, Mr. Mark Tinley from sunny Cambridgeshire, thank you very much for joining us, and I hope to see you this weekend at the Synth DIY show in Cambridgeshire. In fact, if anybody is... Uh, going, um, I should be there uh, on the Friday and the Saturday... Uh, and it's synth DIY, and it's I think it's Robertson College in Cambridge. There's a sort of big synth synth show where people just get together and put all their synths in a room and kind of talk synth. I think we're just going to go up and see what's going on. So thank you very much, Mark. Yeah, you're very welcome. I've enjoyed today. If you've got any, um, if you've got the address for it, you should put a link in the show notes because it's actually quite hard to find any information about it because the website's a bit a bit out of date. So I'd sort of worked out that I thought it was in Robertson College, but I wasn't 100% sure. So okay, I will do. The, I'll put, I'll the put actual, it in the show notes. So which Definitely. building it is in the Robertson College? <laughs> no, I no, I have no idea, actually. I have to find oh. all that stuff out, so it's okay. going to be a bit vague. But thanks, yeah, good, worth mentioning. Thanks very much, Mark. Uh, Mark, of course, myspace.com forward slash Mark Tinley. And uh, Mr. Dave Spears from G4 Software, thank you also for, um, for hanging in there for the uh, extended um, podcast. And it's been fun this week. We've covered a lot of stuff. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. And Rich Hilton from Connecticut. Thank you. I, I can only apologise more. I'm on my knees as I say this, Rich. I'm so <laughs> sorry that I got you up early and I stopped you getting your lawnmower today. I hope I hope the anticipation of getting it slightly later makes it all the more beautiful when it finally does come into your possession. Oh, it's fine. I had a great time. Okay. A nice time here as well. And hopefully, uh, well, we're around next week uh, if anyone else can make it. But also, we hope to see if anyone's going to WOMAD, you can catch Rich on stage with Sheik on what's the date? Is it the 27th? I believe it's the 25th that we play. The 25th of July. Okay, well, and Mr. PJ Tracy from Minneapolis. Uh, I don't think you've got a URL I can uh, quote just yet. Have you, PJ? I have a URL, but there's nothing there. Ah, <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Well, PJ, uh, soon, I hope. But thank you very much, yeah. PJ. Minneapolis, uh, I know you've been working hard, working late, so uh, have a restful day. I hope you can get some time off. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Sonic State. Let's call.